0: Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hello, friends. Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to Praying for America. Well, it has been a momentous uh, 24 hours since I spoke with you last because right around the time, of last night's program, we got some uh, earth-shattering news about uh, the Supreme Court and uh, this current case that we've been talking about a lot on this program, the Dobbs case in re- regard to Roe v. Wade and legal abortion. So I want to bring you up to date on what happened. A lot of it you've likely heard on the news. In fact, my executive director, Janet Morana and I were on live earlier in the day uh, here on our uh, Priest for Life channels and on Right Side Broadcasting Network. And uh, we talked about this in some depth. I want to bring you further up to date on some of these matters uh, here this evening. So let's turn to the scriptures, and then we will, as always, pray for America, especially in light of these uh, news developments. So in Proverbs 24, uh, starting in verse 10, we read, If you remain indifferent in times of adversity, your strength will depart from you. Rescue those who are being dragged to death, and from those tottering to execution, withdraw not. You say, if you say, I know not this man, does not he who tests hearts perceive it? He who guards your life knows it, and he will repay each one according to his deeds. Let us pray. Father, we turn to you and we pray that America may heed these words and in our individual lives and in our laws and policies, help us rescue those who are being brought to destruction. In particular, Lord, strengthen our protection of innocent life and of the most small and defenseless lives of all the children in the first nine months of their existence protect them may our laws and our policies protect them May we as individuals protect them and may we do everything we can to preserve the greatness of a nation as determined by how it treats the most vulnerable in its midst Those at the beginning of life, those at the end of life, those in the shadows of life, how it protects the unborn, the elderly, the sick, the disabled. May we show our greatness as we uphold the principles of equal protection under the law, and as we show forth the compassion of taking care of the weak. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, as you know, uh, my ministry is uh, deals with the abortion issue full time. We at Priests for Life are one of the largest and most visible and vocal pro-life organizations, both in the church and in the uh, in the nation and around the world. And so, part of making America great, as we advocate it is that foundation of the right to life itself. And in our country, this debate has been very fierce in terms of the right to life of children yet in the womb, because we have this clash between the interests of protecting and defending life, which is not difficult to understand, and the interest, on the other hand, of a person's freedom. Should someone continue a pregnancy when she feels she can't or doesn't want to or has no intention of being a mother? How does choice and the right to determine one's future intersect with the right to life? Those seem to be both pretty significant values in American life. And so the dispute over abortion is defined by that. And the courts have decided to step in and perform that calculus, do that balancing act, determine where America in her policies is going to come down on the interplay between life and choice. So back in 1973, the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade decided the question and said, we are going to recognize a constitutional right of women to end that pregnancy if they so choose and this of course has created a firestorm ever since of people saying no you can't deprive an entire group of human beings the children in the womb of their right to life they're alive they're human beings the law has to protect them now the courts took the matter away from you and me to decide through our elected officials. And this is a key point to understand. Taking away the right to life of the children in the womb is, of course, the primary problem here. But together with that, there's the secondary problem of saying, well, we, the court, will be the one to decide this. What made the court think that they were in the best position to figure out what the public policy should be, when you have these fundamental questions of life and death and these weighing and balancing of various kinds of freedoms and interests, what made the court say they would decide it in a way that the legislatures could no longer touch? You see, what happened in 1973 has to be appreciated from the point of view of the separation of powers and the freedom of the people. So, prescinding for a moment from the question of the right to life of the children, what about the freedom of the people to, to govern themselves? This was a serious departure from that. Because we, in our daily lives as Americans, we don't want to be accountable to unelected judges. Think of the justices on the Supreme Court. So these are nine people who make decisions every day, on matters of great importance, and their decisions are, are 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 binding on the whole uh, country. Well, who, who are they? If you want to influence what they think, they're there for life. They have a lifetime appointment to the court. If you want to influence what they think, or you don't like the way that they decide cases, where do you go to convey that idea to them? Can you lobby them? Can you sit? Can you vote them out of office? If they keep making the wrong kinds of decisions? And, of course, the answer to those questions is no. On the other hand, if you have a state lawmaker and you don't like the direction he or she is going, well, you can make an appointment with them. You could sit down and talk with them. You could see that I'm at a a town hall meeting. Or even on a federal level, you have a federal legislator. And you can give input. And you know what? Every two years, they rely on you for your vote in order for them to keep their job. So there's an accountability there. In fact, the founders instituted, as you well know, the frequency of elections, the shortness of the amount of time one spends in a term as as a federal lawmaker is a reminder to them that they work for us. It's a reminder to them that they are not Lord and master over our lives. Unfortunately, judges and justices don't have that reminder they get into their position, they're appointed, they're confirmed, they're there for life. They don't have to face elections. They don't have to face lobbying from you. They're unaccountable and unelected. Now, who do you want determining policy for you and for your family and for your, for your future, unelected judges or elected accountable lawmakers? See, and that's the, that's very much what's at issue with the Roe versus Wade uh, decision. That's very much what is at issue here. Uh, the, the Supreme Court said abortion has a constitutional status. So it took it up the ladder, so to speak. Now, in other words, lawmakers can pass laws on all sorts of things. Now, those laws could be challenged in court. And the court has different levels of review, different standards by which it determines if something is constitutional or not. And the most basic, fundamental, lowest rung of the ladder, so to speak, is what's called a rational basis. Does the state have a reason for its law or is it just making arbitrary, uh, arbitrary policies or does it have a reason? Is it reasonably, is the law reasonably related to a legitimate purpose of the state, that's called rational basis review. So, really, by default, everything is is decided uh, by, uh, on that basis by the courts. Then you have um, uh, 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 what is called an intermediate intermediate level of scrutiny, uh, where they have to jump through some higher hoops, uh, in order to uphold a particular law. Uh, The state has to demonstrate more, in other words, about why that law is justified, why it's compelling, why it's so important. Uh, The state has to be shown to be uh, pursuing not just reasonable steps, but compelling interests. And then you have the highest level is, is strict scrutiny. This is where, for example, if the state were going to limit your freedom of speech, they can't limit that fundamental right unless it's a situation where they have a compelling interest that they are pursuing and limiting your right in the way that that some kind of law proposes to limit it is the only way and the least restrictive way of them accomplishing their goal i say all this because when roe v wade came down in 1973 and abortion was made legal throughout pregnancy They were applying the strict scrutiny standard as if abortion now is a fundamental constitutional right. Then in 1992, a decision came out from the Supreme Court called Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and they lowered the standard. They made the standard something that they called um, uh, undue burden. And they said, yes, abortion is still a constitutional right, but... Uh, a state can, can pass laws regulating abortion as long as it doesn't create an undue burden on women who want to get the procedure. Now, if you don't understand exactly what an undue burden is, join the club, because the rest of us don't either, including the judges. Undue burden is not defined by the court. It's subjective. What's undue according to one person's judgment is not according to another. What's a burden in one person's opinion is not according to another. So the courts, in other words, set this standard for abortion that nobody can interpret. And that's the situation under which the current case challenging Roe versus Wade has been presented and argued before the court. This is the situation now going into the case and people saying, hey, we've got to do something to change the standard uh, of abortion because A, the lawmakers are not able to, 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 to regulate it or prohibit it if they want, and B, the judges are not able to determine what laws or limitations are in fact constitutional or not So this is the confusion that is the starting point for this case. Now let's look at exactly what happened just last night to throw another monkey wrench of confusion into this uh, into this whole thing. let's take a, a a step back and take a look at uh, at this. So I was actually on a prayer call with people from around the country. About this Dobbs case, which had been argued back in December, Mississippi is challenging uh, the court uh, to say we need to, we as lawmakers want to decide this question of abortion. So Mississippi did what the court said it couldn't do and protected babies starting at 15 weeks. Here in Florida, Governor DeSantis just signed a similar uh, uh, law just a few weeks ago. So I just got off a prayer call uh, about all this. and. The news came out from Politico that they had posted this document a draft of an opinion of the Supreme Court written by Justice Samuel Alito, striking down Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, getting rid of the undue burden standard and bringing the standard of review for abortion down from undue burden, back to rational basis review. In other words, this decision, as it's written here, is exactly what our movement has been asking the court to do. A complete victory. Except that it's a leak. So it's not the final decision. It's not officially um, issued by the court. And in fact, for a decision like this, this is 98 pages of, of, uh, of Supreme Court opinion, for a decision like this to be leaked prior to the official conclusion of the case is unprecedented. Unprecedented. And it's egregious, egregious violation of procedure. And, and I, and I want to make a, 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 a several points here about this. Now, we could talk a little bit more about what the decision actually says. But why in the world would this happen? You know, for decades, as we deal with the abortion issue, uh, we in the movement have talked about the abortion distortion, as we call it. And this is this basically means that when it comes to abortion, all the rules change. Normal procedures get bent or warped out of shape, out beyond recognition. Fairness goes out the window, your First Amendment rights to talk about something or object to something or to protest something. All of a sudden, those rights get attacked and, and diminished and uh, things like, oh, for, take for example, in fact, this, this decision even talks about this, how abortion just, just just distorts and destroys everything in its path. Take, for example, the question of third party standing. Can somebody go into a courtroom and bring a case for somebody else? Well, no, not unless there's some kind of very, very, very close, substantial relationship between you and the person, and the person, for some reason, can't speak for themselves. But the abortionists go into court all the time claiming to represent the women who come to their clinics to get abortions. They are complete strangers, brothers and sisters. But... When it comes to abortion, the courts allow that to happen. You see what I mean? The abortion distortion, any kind of normal procedure, any kind of basic legal principles, any kind of protocols that are already in place get warped beyond recognition in order to accommodate more and more abortion. And we have seen this for decades. I mean, there's books written about this. And here we see... That's how I've been looking at this ever since it happened last night. We see an egregious and unprecedented breach of protocol where the confidentiality of the court is thrown out the window. Why? Again, it has to do with abortion. When it comes to abortion, nothing is normal anymore. Okay, nothing is normal. Why did this happen? You know, Chief Justice John Roberts issued a statement today. And he said, yes, this is an authentic document. This was a a draft opinion written by Justice Alito, just like it says. But this is part of the process of coming to a decision. In other words, draft opinions are written after the judges have voted and discussed on it. The opinions are circulated among the justices. But then they can modify them. They can even change their position if they want to. So this is by no means to be considered the final opinion. And the court will issue its final opinion when it's ready. Okay, good enough. Justice, Chief Justice Roberts also said that he has launched an investigation into how this got into our hands. How did this get leaked to the public? All right, why might this have happened? Well, you can just imagine somebody on the inside who's on the pro-abortion side, seeing things not going in their favor. They're not able to convince the justices internally, so they decide, let's leak the thing and exercise all kinds of public pressure maybe to get one of the justices to change his or her mind before the decision becomes official. Now, that is absolutely... Inappropriate, uncalled for, and we should see it. No matter what a person's position is on the issue itself, we should see it as an attack on the process, an attack on the courts, uh, an attack on the nation. And didn't we, don't we see the left doing this all the time to get their ideological uh, goal to meet their ideological goal? They'll throw out the window due process, fairness, constitutional protocols look what they did to President Trump. Isn't that exactly what they did? When President Trump talks about the impeachment hoax, it's a hoax, not just because he didn't do anything wrong. It was a hoax both times precisely because they did everything wrong in the way that they conducted the process. They violated all kinds of constitutional norms and traditions and protocols, including due process and the right to self-defense and cross-examination and having witnesses, and on and on it goes. The left doesn't care. All they care about is power. All they care about is accomplishing their means. The end justifies the means. They want to accomplish their goals, no matter what has to be destroyed, bulldozed, or thrown out the window in the process. To me, that's what this this speaks of. Now, that's the, the issue of the leak itself, the issue of the decision itself, as I, as I uh, uh, mentioned, this gives us a complete victory. If this were to become the final opinion, which it seems like it is, it seems like this at least five justices are in agreement with this opinion. Now, again, the process isn't finished, but it certainly seems to be on the right track. And we suspected. From the beginning that it would be on the right track, not only from the oral arguments that strengthened our, our, our optimism about this, but just from the fact that the court took up the case in the first place. Because the way they framed it was, are all prohibitions on abortion, elective abortion, before viability, unconstitutional? Well, the Constitution doesn't say anything about viability, much less anything about abortion. So why shouldn't the lawmakers decide these questions? You see, and that goes back to the original point I was making. What makes the court think that it's the best one to adjudicate this deeply uh, uh, divided question of abortion that brings in questions of law and of medicine and of philosophy and of morality and theology and experience and psychology? What makes the court think that it's best positioned to do this, especially when there's nothing in the Constitution about it? And that's one of the key things Justice Alito analyzes in this decision let me just summarize just one aspect of this we don't have a whole lot of time and we want to pray again where is the right to abortion in the constitution the other side is fond of talking about oh it's a constitutional right it's a constitutional right where do you come off saying that what article of the constitution what provision of the constitution contains the right to an abortion my friends nobody knows because it doesn't It's not there. And there are all kinds of different uh, explanations that have been given as to where we're supposed to find in this founding document the right to an abortion. Now, there are various rights that we have. that are not explicitly mentioned in the Constitution. But for a right to be considered a constitutional right and yet not mentioned in the text of the Constitution, What is required? It's required that it be deeply rooted in the history of the country. So you look at the country's laws, you look at the court decisions, you look at the practices throughout our American history, and you should be able to find it. Look for the right to abortion. It's not there in the history. Not only not in the text, it's not in the history. And Justice Alito goes into this in great detail in this document. He says, look, we inherited the common law from England. Common law prohibited abortion. And then when the law started to be more codified by statute in the 1800s, these statutes protecting the children in the womb for the purpose of protecting those children uh, multiplied throughout the states. And then some people would say, well, you know, in the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, you have the right to liberty. That's where abortion is. Well, wait one second. When the 14th Amendment was adopted, three-quarters of the states prohibited abortion throughout pregnancy. They couldn't have been, on the one hand, prohibiting it, and on the other hand, ratifying an amendment that allowed it as a fundamental right, no less. No, this is this is this is nonsense. We're out of time for tonight, but but Supreme Court Is the website to go to for more information on all this supremecourtvictory.com and we'll be talking more about we'll be keeping you updated on what happens let's pray father bless our nation bless our court protect the justices and let those who are intent lord on 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 reversing roe v wade and restoring the right to life stick stick to the course stay the course not be distracted or deterred or pressured or intimidated by this leak or by the public pressure that results from it. But, Lord, let them always and let us always do what is right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, friends. Stay strong and stay closely connected with us and with the Lord. Talk to you soon.